Hey guys, welcome. We are here with our second episode of interview and uh, we have a very good friend of mine and former pastor of mine actually, yeah. Robbie Smith. And we're going to be talking about the, uh, the biblical basis for self-defense. And then we're also going to get into what could probably be a pretty hot button issue in church circles of what does biblical civil disobedience look like? So come along with us. We're going to have a really interesting conversation. Robbie, welcome. Uh, we're excited to have you here. I'm excited for your podcast. I'm going to be honest. I love the TikToks. I've been, you know, if somebody's not on TikTok and following you there, they need to be because I love it. I love, you know, what caught my eye first was you guys on the range. Mm-hmm. I'm a little butt hurt that this didn't start with us on the range right out of the gate. But, that's coming soon. All right. All right. So, um, so uh, anyway, it, it that's what caught my eye initially. And then I have, I've just listened to every episode you've done. I, list, I enjoyed the one on masculinity. I think that was last, this week, last week it published. This week, yeah. yeah this yep. week it put, published. And uh, so I've enjoyed listening to that. And uh, so glad to be here, man. Yep. Thanks for coming out, man. I'm yep. glad to be here. Yep. So we want to start a conversation of we one of our most controversial shorts that mm. actually went out was the one where I talked about biblical um, biblical basis for self-defense. And That's that, the one where you got it wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Somebody okay. told you that? Yeah, according to, to Twitter and yeah. uh, YouTube, I, I, I'm yeah. completely wrong on that, and there is no biblical basis for self-defense. Mm. We should just let people rob us and, you know, kill our children, rape our wives, yeah. you know, that, that kind of stuff. It's, I, I, I wanted to have this conversation and start this this talk on what what biblical self-defense and how how that lines up with Scripture and so um, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to as a pastor and someone who has dealt with, we'll give you a chance to share your story on, on, oh, yeah. on kind of how uh, you dealt with a stalker mm. in your church that yeah. was, that was out to get you. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll, let's, let's go ahead and start there and kind of give okay. a, give a, give a, a rundown of that. And then we'll talk about kind of where, where you line up with, with you biblical the story first. Defense. Sure. Yeah. Um, this year, we had a gentleman come into our church, 6'8", 333 pounds, um, very rough background. Our church, we planted our church 19 years ago. Um, the demographic of our church has changed so much. And initially, it was like um, low income. Um, it kind of matches the ministry. So when you're out loving the community in different ways. So the, you know, the, dem- the demographic has really changed what type of person. Now we're a huge variety, everything from like doctors to homeless. I mean, we literally have a wide net that we have reached and we're happy with that. So coming in and being rough around the edges and, you know, most people try to clean up their language when they come in and this guy just didn't seem to care. Honestly, you don't offend me the way you talk. You know, it's not, I'm not your judge, you know, but the reality is, is that he was just rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, just started loving on him and loving on him at service, loving on him. Uh, he would pop in occasionally, just random, you know, everything was going good. I started seeing, I started seeing like a real, he got, he got saved. He was baptized. Um, I think he might be the biggest guy I've ever baptized. And, uh, and so he, um, things went downhill with him pretty quickly. Um, his dad, his dad passed away. His dad was sick in the hospital. And, and again, you're taking a guy who's a bar fighter 
Uh, he a lineman. He's out. I mean, dude's strong. He does physical labor for you know. I mean, he's really a, a legit dude, country boy, strong kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's a mountain of a man. You stand next to him, and you're just this little. You know, even the biggest guys are little next yeah. to him. But he takes his downward spiral after his dad dies. He calls me one day, and he's like, "Hey, can you come to the hospital?" Um, you know, I don't. Know, dad's got that much longer. I don't know. So I go there. His dad doesn't want to talk to me. I want to share the gospel with him. I don't leave. I just say, well, I'm going, to sit in the, I'm going to sit in the waiting room. And if he changes his mind, I'll be here. If not, I'm just here for the family, you know, mm-hmm. doing the pastoral care thing. And so I did that. Ten minutes later, his dad asked me to come back in. Came back in, shared the gospel. I don't know if his dad, I mean, his dad didn't receive Christ with me. I don't know if he did at a later time or not. A couple of days later, he, you know, a couple, maybe 12 hours later, his dad passes away. Um, what I didn't know is that this gentleman had been in a police standoff in 2016 with the state police. And my understanding of what happened then was they had him at gunpoint. He had a hostage in the car, and and it was right up the road from our church on 37. And so that got him. He pled um, guilty by reason of insanity. Got like, I think it was three years in a mental institution. And so when he got out of that, his dad was that, his dad and him had a good relationship, but I think what his dad did was controlled his meds, made sure he was taking his mm-hmm. meds on time. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong if you have a mental illness. That, that's, it's not a sin to have a mental illness, right? You just have to manage your meds, you know? And so he had that. When his dad, when his dad died, he didn't have that any longer. And I started seeing a shift in him. I started seeing his conversations would be like, the Energizer Bunny, and it felt like he was on a merry-go-round because you'd talk about six topics in three minutes. Mm-hmm. It was that, you know, I started seeing a change, and I, I didn't know what it was. And and then and then it got bad. Like, he started having problems in his family. Um, and then one day, out of, no, out of the blue, he walks into Trinity Methodist Church in West Frankfurt. And I don't know what happens that gets him there. It's not a service time. It's during business hours. And pulls a knife on the lady at the front desk and the pastor and kind of intimidates them. I know how to use this knife. And, you know, so you have a mountain of a man with a weapon inside your building. Um, security guard comes. They end up having a peaceful conversation that leads outside. Um, when the, they ended up asking him to leave, he leaves. He goes up on the, the um, cemetery. He gets up to the cemetery and there's some lady up there and he says, hey, I feel like I'm being called to be a pastor. What do you think? And she goes, I don't even know you. And he says, I ought to just kill you too. And then he turns around. She runs off, terrified, turns around, comes back to the church, gets an altercation again. They keep him outside the building this time, but gets an altercation and says, I'm coming back with my AK and I'm going to kill all of you. This was a guy that I had brought to the Lord. He'd seen him get baptized. This was a guy that Honestly, God was making him a peacemaker. Like he, he would say, I've walked away from this fight. This guy knows I can thump him. I've done this before, like multiple times. And I just don't want to fight anymore, right? Previous to coming off of his meds, I've, I'm a firm believer he's a Christian. He's a Christian with mental illness, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and because I saw, not a Christian because he prayed a prayer. He's a Christian because I've seen the fruit taking mm-hmm. a violent man with a violent past and making him a soft, caring man, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he came off his meds. And then that window was quick, you know. And so so then that turned into me getting a phone call one day from uh, the Williams County Sheriff's Department saying, um, 
do you know this guy? And I go, I do know this guy. And, and then the conversation went to, you need to be aware of your surroundings. And, and instantly I'm like, I got to, so I have two sons in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them were calling me talking. It was a different department at the time. And I'm like, so what's happening here? You know? And this detective says, well, and he's very vague. And I just asked him, I said, are you telling me I've got a death threat? Well, and he was just very vague. He said, I'm just telling you to be aware of your surroundings. And, and I'm like, okay. So a little time passes and, um, I get a phone call from an attorney and this attorney says, I just got it. Well, let me back up. It's not a phone call. It's, it's a, it's a face to face conversation. And this attorney is very scared of this individual. Um, this attorney has been in a, a place where her life had been threatened by somebody else at some point. And, and so she, she gets it. And, and so she's just, I need to inform you this. And, the attorney begins to tell me that in a conversation with him, he started talking about God has given me the ability to see angels and demons. And I know who is possessed with a demon and God wants me to, to kill people who have demons so that he can save them. And, and that's the conversation. And she said, and I'm, I, I said, so that's, I'm, and then at this moment, I'm just thinking, well, you're just filling me in on somebody in my congregation. This is, and then she said, looked at me straight now. And she said, and then he said, you had a demon. I'm telling you, you, you know, he's going to come after you. And uh, so that turned into more phone calls from law enforcement. That turned into, uh, you know, I, I reached, he got arrested at one point. When he got arrested, I thought, well, this is, this is over. We're not going to have a problem. Made a $10,000 bail. He didn't pay his his employer paid his bail. This is before the no cash bail law came into effect, um, which in this scenario, different topic, but in this scenario, that has actually been a good thing for me. We can get into that later, but it's not a good thing in general. But it, in this specific <laughs> specific scenario, it's been a good thing. So the guy uh, he start he he makes bail, and I'm like, well, this is not over, you know. I had a police chief in the local area bring me a bulletproof vest and said, I've messed with this guy multiple times. I would feel better if you wore this. Wear it on Sundays. Wear it when you're out in public. It's summertime. Right. I look like the marshmallow man in this thing. I'm not wearing this, you know. Um, I do conceal carry. But, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is like, think about shooting somebody you've led to Christ. I mean, that is nowhere in my world have ever, is, have I ever thought of that. You that know? is a and, mind uh, melting. Oh thought. my goodness, yeah. dude. And, and so, so he starts showing up at the gym that I'm at, you know, I work out of legacy fitness. He doesn't work out. He starts showing up there. And when he, when they trespassed him, then he started parking at Walmart right across the parking lot. And then he starts showing up at different places. I had officers saying, hey, we're watching him. He's in your area. They know I own a small mowing business as well. And on my days off from pastoring, I'll, I don't like to be idle. So on my days off, I work. I go out and mow. And, and so uh, I've had officers call me and say, hey, what part of town are you on? Um, I know he's in the area. Are you over in this area? No. Well, tell me if you come over in this area because I'll just I'll sit out there. And this summer... I literally, and you know how it is when you're mowing, man, you're, you're trying, if you, if you've done this, you're, it's in and out, do a good job as quickly as you can get to the next one mm-hmm. and you're sweating and it's hot. The last thing you want to do is carry, I do a concealed carry when you're out 
mowing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or wear a bulletproof vest. Yeah. And see, that wasn't, yeah, that just wasn't happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and you it's could just like, go just the vest and no shirt. Oh, just, I mean, that'd be a pretty Wouldn't that be good awesome? Be a fashion that's statement. That's a good, yeah, cool, I mean, that's I mean, a good that's look. That's what I would do. But anyway. And, and so all joking aside, it, it came to a point like, I'm not a guy who struggles with anxiety. I literally do not. Um, this summer, man, wow. I started thinking about, like, I'm sitting with one of my sons having lunch and I get a phone call saying, hey, he's in the area. We saw him in your neighborhood. I've got a wife that's home that day. And you're thinking about that. And she's there with grandkids. And, you know, it's like, how do you run a business where you have to? I mean, I got two days a week to mow because I'm working full time as a pastor every other day. It's like, how do you how do you keep your family safe? How do you? And that became a real thing. And I remember walking in that afternoon. First time, man, I've ever I've ever really had anxiety like I walked in, I saw a bulletproof vest sitting on my, my couch when I walked in and I had just, literally I had my firearm in my hand because I had a bucket on the mower where the firearm went. I just, you know, a little trash bucket basically that I just used for, because I didn't want to wear it, you know, and I had the firearm in my hand, I'm walking in and I see the bulletproof vest and it just hit me and I'm like, God, am I going to have to shoot a man that I baptized? Is that what I'm going to have to do? Um, this is going to sound crazy, probably. Um, I'm Southern Baptist, ordained Southern Baptist pastor, so that would be crazy to talk this way. But the reality is, is like there are times when God has absolutely told me things. Like, for instance, a few years back at a revival, we're in the finish preaching, come off the stage. God's like, you need to get back up there and one more plea, one more invitation. I'm resisting because I don't, I'm always trying to test, is this just Robbie mm-hmm. or is this God, you know? And then I literally felt like he said to me, five more people are going to get saved tonight if you do this. I walked up on the stage and said, you know me. You know this is not me. God told me to come back up here. You need to come to Jesus. And you know he's talking to you. we got five more people are going to get saved. And guess what? Five people got saved that night. Right? That's awesome. And so there, it's, it was that kind of a real awareness in that moment. And I really did feel like the Lord told me, you're going to have to shoot him. You better be prepared, you know. And uh, and I just sat down, man, and that's that's a that's a gut punch, you know. Yeah. When you think I'm going to have to end this man's life, and I love him, I care about him, you know, mm-hmm. but he's not in his right frame of mind. Going into a church and saying you're going to shoot it up, threatening a woman with a knife, telling me, you know, that he's going to kill me, um, he's not in the right frame of his mind, so. You know, long story short, he got arrested, and then um, this this no cash bail. While I watched, like Williams County, I watched them send out countless people from jail the day that got passed. You know, um, one of the stipulations in that law, or yeah, that law is that um, if you believe if so, when someone is brought in for a um, a violent nature or violent crime that there's an emergency like little hearing that's that's and if they can prove or they have reasonable doubt belief that this person's going to put harm to somebody then you stay incarcerated until your trial and then every time there's court day there's another one of those you know and just you know we've had man we've had maybe month and a half of rest knowing he's he's there um i mean i've had to do things like what well, i can't remember the website now that only has that you might know this, that notifies you. It's like a victim's thing that mm-hmm. notifies you when someone's released or their status right. changes. 
And so I've registered for that. Um, but, but it really was, it was an entire summer of looking over your shoulder. Um, of course, our security team at our church, they're armed. You know, we bought, that's another thing we bought, um, help me with initials. You, um, um, we bought the insurance, um, USCCA. Thank you. We yeah. bought seven of those. Um, and I said, if you're an employee, um, you need to, cause so the, the risk for us was if you come to service, I've got insurance that's going to cover us. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you're on the security team or you're a staff person, my insurance will cover you. If you're Billy Bob that's not on the security team and you're thinking, oh, I'm just packing a gun, our insurance is like, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, okay, well, I don't, if somebody's trying to keep me safe, last thing I want them is to go through some kind of financial, so we're buying it for them. And so mm-hmm. we bought we bought seven. We didn't buy the entire team, but we bought seven of them a year's membership to that to where they have what is it like three million dollars worth of mm-hmm. of insurance and we just want to take care of them you yeah. know um and so so that that's kind of the story man it it really yeah, crazy, was uh it's a crazy story man it reminds me a little bit as you know as a, a saying that i use a lot in my training on the law enforcement side and also on the civilian side and after we go through a lot of these classes and we'll show a lot of video of people involved in shootings and we'll tell a lot of stories about people being taken advantage of. And one of the things I kind of learned or realized from my perspective over the years is this. It never pays to be the nice guy if you are being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, as just good people in general, it's very hard for us to get rid of the the nice guy. We want to help. We want to love people. We're just, it's in our DNA for most of us, especially as a Christian, as somebody who loves God, we are commanded to love people. And that works really well most of the time until you're in one of those moments where somebody, it's not just a guy driving down the street and you decide to be mean to them. Mm-hmm. It's always the category of when, if somebody is taking advantage of you. And what we see in real life is whenever we decide to give people the benefit of the doubt in those scenarios, the innocent people 99% of the time are hurt badly, either physically, Mm -hmm. mentally, psychologically, whatever it is. And I don't think God just wants us to lay down Mm -hmm. and be a victim. We had, there was a a church I used to go to where I was kind of helping out with a security team. And and there was a guy that just started going to church. He shows up one day, he's actually married, shows up with his wife. And from day one, all of a sudden he is involved in everything. I mean, every group, everything he can possibly get involved in. And this is a pretty good sized church. He is on his phone. and, And the, the, well, the first clue was a lot of the females in the church came to us and said, this guy's creeping me out. They couldn't say what he said exactly. It was just the gut feeling of mm-hmm. this guy is a weirdo. And you're like, well, I mean, you don't want to just, you know, judge a book mm-hmm. by its cover. And we're going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. And then he started sending friend requests to like 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. year old girls all over the church. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Yep. There's, there's no reason for an adult yep. male to send a friend request on Facebook yep. to a 12 year old. Right. So, the pastor was like, well, what do you think we should do? I'm like, this guy cannot go to your church. Mm-hmm. Cannot. Cannot have anything to do. Nobody here should counsel him. We'll give him some resources to possibly get some help somewhere else. If you allow this person to stay in your church because you think it's the nice, loving thing to do, he's going to kidnap a kid mm-hmm. or he's going to sexually assault somebody. Mm-hmm. Those things are going 
to happen. It's the handwriting on the wall. And so you've got to, at some point, realize, I don't think we're meant to be taken advantage of. Mm. And that was the position you were in. Now, thank God you didn't have to make the worst decision. But we all have to kind of mentally go there. And that day on your couch, it's like, hmm, this thing might happen. And we always encourage people, and we, we always say this phrase too, your body's not going to go where your mind hasn't gone first. And if you haven't settled on, okay, what is it okay for me to do mm-hmm. in the moment of when the chaos starts, it's going to be very difficult to get through that situation. So, you know, it's, um, that's a great point. There is a, I know the biblical precedent for not being a pacifist. You know, I, <laughs> I, I can, I can show you chapter verse, tell you historical narrative stories of Jesus and his disciples. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but, but the knowledge piece is there, but on that day and that moment, it was, yeah, I would do this and I'll have to do this. And I really do. I still, I still, I I hope and pray. I, I hope the guy gets help and I hope that he turns around and I hope, you know, and, but when you're having, you know, police chiefs call you and say, you understand that, the death threats he's made, that the stalking he's done, you're already at the level of extreme extingency. You understand this. like, and, and so I'm saying don't hesitate. If you see him coming, do not hesitate. So all that was hitting me that moment in that day, and I was like, there's not a person in this house that I wouldn't give my life for or, you know, but at the end of the day, you're not coming to my house. Yeah, I think indifference, indifference is also one of those things where, that can be just as bad as doing something bad to somebody. Yeah. I mean, to sit back, if you were, if you saw some, you know, elderly person getting beat up, mm-hmm. you know, on a back alley and you just did nothing yeah. because, well, I just, I need to be the nice person. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. That's What's not, the quote? All it takes is a, uh, for evil prevail, if you give men do nothing, yeah. you know, that mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, exactly. I heard, so. I heard one person say, because there's a lot of people, we, we were talking about the video of, there's a, a video going on out there right now where a bunch of, women are asked the question would you be able to kill somebody if 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 your life your kids lives depended on it like Mm -hmm. if and that's a that's a hard question to ask somebody would you be willing to kill somebody to save your kid's life and a lot of these mothers are like no way to us we're like really what do you like what what would you do i mean how would you do nothing and i heard a guy say if you were walking down the street and your kid was being attacked by a dog viciously Mm -hmm. what person on the planet would do would just stand there and do nothing would stand there and say uh puppy (laughs) please stop you know biting the face off of Mm -hmm. my five-year-old you would you would physically take action Mm -hmm. to protect your kids it doesn't mean maybe it means you don't have to use deadly force. Right. We hope to right. God that, that right. is not the case. We're not walking around wishing or hoping to check yeah. a box. We're and, not trying to be gunslingers. And, and yeah. get to do those things. But the question is this, like, what are the consequences if, if I don't do something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For I, me, from my journey for that happened, that was a real life scenario with me for this year. But if you roll the clock back four or five years, maybe probably five years ago, I went to uh, Ray Miner, the armed barber, went to his concealed carry class. As I go through his class, I've been around handguns all my life, firearms. Great class. Um, I learned some things about the law. I'm getting prepared. I take the test, you know, obviously take the test, pass, getting ready to send the papers off, right? But he says something in that class. He says, and it mimics exactly what you said a minute ago. He says, if you can't 
mentally picture shooting someone and taking someone's life, I'm going to encourage you probably not to submit this license. He said, because nothing worse to have a firearm, be in a situation where you could use it and then they just take it and use it on you, you know? And I'm sitting there and, and then I, so I'm driving home and I'm thinking, okay, I got my paperwork, I'll send it in. But then that question just kept coming back. Okay, Robbie, you're the, you're the Christian. The person who's doing harm to you is lost. If you know anything about me, I'm all about seeing people come to Jesus and be say, I'm, I'll pray with strangers. I'll share the gospel with anybody. I don't care. You know, and, and I, I, we've seen tons of people get saved in the last, well, in the last three years, we've seen over 350 people saved and baptized, you know, so at our church. So I'm all about that. And I was just in this turmoil, this mental turmoil of like, what's better? I die, I go be with Jesus. That's a win. And then my next thought was like, but that person, if I shoot them, they're going to hell. I was in this crisis five years ago, right? What am I going to do? I pushed pause. I didn't do a concealed carry for a year. And then one day, so two sons are in law enforcement. One, Tyler Smith, works at Marion. Tyler is is very proactive with like enforcing drugs and getting guns off the street. I hear all kinds of stories of that. One day I have his oldest daughter, my granddaughter. She at the time is probably four. I, uh, I was walking into a convenience store. We just fill, finished filling up the gas. I'm walking into a convenience store, probably 20 foot from the door. My granddaughter is by my side. There is a gentleman who walks out the door. Now, if you've seen me, you've seen my son. We are physically like, we look a lot alike. And this dude instantly, his body language screamed, I want to punch you in the face. And I'm 20 foot from him. He stops walking. His girlfriend is talking to him, but he's not paying any attention to her. He is literally eyeballing me. So instantly, I put Emma behind me, and I, I'm walking up to him. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm not trying to pick fights, but this dude's still staring me down. And so I get within five foot of him. I said, we good? And he instantly, he's like, and, and then he kind of sidesteps and goes on. And in that moment, I realized, I'm like, what was that? And I watch him as he walks off. And, and I'm thinking, he thinks I'm my, he thinks I'm Tyler. And I, and this dude looks like he's been somebody who's been arrested. I bet you this dude is convinced, you know, thinking that, so I'm realizing now you got two sons that look like you. They're out there in this community arresting bad people. And these bad people will come after them at some point. And maybe you and, Mm -hmm. and, and here I am with a four-year-old granddaughter. And it was in that day, in that moment, I went home. I grabbed that envelope out and I sent those off and I couldn't wait to get the concealed carry because I knew what. So there is the scenario of me and a person, but I never really factored in my family, Yeah, you know, and and now you don't. I mean, it's not something I make. I don't. I'm not visible with it's concealed carry. It's supposed to be concealed for a reason. Right. There's not a Sunday I'm not carrying, you know. Yeah, that, that story about the gas station is so true because your your life experiences drive your beliefs. Yeah. A hundred percent. If if nothing bad has ever happened to you, you've never had a confrontation, nobody's ever tried to get you, you know, for you know, you've never had somebody try to abduct you, you've never mm-hmm. had somebody attempt to sexually assault you. If those things have never happened, thank goodness for that. But there's a good chance you might believe that nothing bad would ever yeah. happen to you. And what we see in law enforcement, we get to see behind the curtain 
of the real world. And I've got probably an overly pessimistic view of kind of (laughs) society out there. And my wife's always like, everybody out there is not a bad person. And I'm like, 98% of them. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I lean too much on the everybody or the most. I said in one of our podcasts, I think most people are, you know, more than 50% are probably bad people. Maybe that, I don't know what the number is, but the point is there's, we're going to live in a fallen world. There's a Mm. lot of evil people out there wanting to do bad things mm-hmm. there, you know, part of my job involves training and research on shootings, officer involved shootings, how things get to that. And it's, it's amazing how easy it is today for bad guys to pull out a gun and shoot not only a cop, mm-hmm. but anybody. It's almost, I don't know if it's a part of the video game culture mm-hmm. or just society these days, but it seems very easy for people just to pull out a gun and shoot somebody. Zero value and, and, for life. And it's just nothing. It does, so you think, well, nobody would ever like shoot me. You're mistaken. <laughs> you are mm-hmm. sadly, horribly mistaken. Mm-hmm. If you think nobody would shoot you over a parking spot, mm-hmm. they 100% will They're- and not think twice about it. And for the luxury for most people is they don't really see those people. Uh, they don't really see kind of the danger how close they are most of the time until all of a sudden boom something like that happens and oh hey man this is man maybe something might happen i don't know where and those things happen fast quick like and you could add 50 guns in your car Hmm. none of those would have helped you that day help you zero Hmm. only what you had attached to your body could have helped you if it ever led to, to deadly force. And you just walk around Marion, drive around Marion, pull into certain, like it takes my wife, if she ever listens to this, I'll get in trouble about this, but I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> uh, half of what I say on Sunday gets me in trouble. So um, there are locations that I've said, our boys tell us you can't come here. Do not go there. I don't care if it's running in to get a thing of bleach. Don't go here. If you go to this Dollar General, you are putting yourself at risk. Oh, no, no, no. Because nothing has ever happened there before in her eyes. Mm-hmm. One day we're standing there and said, look behind the counter there. There is a bullet hole right there. Somebody shot a bullet right there. I mean, and three summers ago, I'm sitting on my recliner. It's a Sunday afternoon. What does she do? Her and Emma go to that store. She's cleaning house. It's close. Mm-hmm. She goes there. She walks in. And thank goodness she has some awareness around her. She heard a camera, a cell phone camera go off. She said, I heard somebody, while well, she was in line, so I heard somebody taking pictures. I turned around, Hispanic guy standing right behind her. She said, I just had this weird feeling like, get your granddaughter. I'm holding her hand, get her in front of me. And she, he, she said, but then I started thinking about that camera. I started thinking about human trafficking. I started thinking like, so she calls Tyler. Tyler's my son, the daughter's, my granddaughter's mm-hmm. dad, an officer. And all of a sudden I see Tyler jump up off the couch he's putting his boots on i said what's up he goes i'm coming there right now i said what's up and so i'm throwing stuff on you know and we run out the door and and we make a beeline for this place and this hispanic dude now is walking the tracks we turn in and you know at that point your mind goes like you you were just getting ready to take my granddaughter like if there is a picture of my granddaughter on your phone Mm You are not going to fare well today, you know, because I'm, you know, and, and so forced him to give the phone over, take a picture of the ground, show us your photo album. She wasn't on there. And, um, you know, Tyler identified him as a police officer and then, you know, started doing this. And, and what my wife failed to tell us is there was two Hispanic guys. When I was, 
what, you know, so Tyler, uh, I'm not a cop, so I'm instantly right here. But at one point, I remember taking a step back, and I just kind of looked around, and I saw a guy veer off. And he was walking towards us, and he veered off. And he had a Dollar General bag in his hand. And I thought, I wonder. And But then I went on, because we're here. And then later, my wife says, yeah, there was another incident. And I thought, and, you know, my son's like, they'll take pictures of kids. They'll send them off, you know, to whoever is going to take them. And he said, then, it's one. you want this one? That kind of, you know, candy shop. And I'm like, this is in Marion, Illinois, you know. Um, my sons are, again, it took them maybe a year on the force. And now every room they go into in a restaurant, their backs to the wall, they're watching the door. Every, I didn't realize, like, a different topic, but even PTSD for, like, police officers, are a real thing because mm-hmm. when you're when you're a soldier and you're in Iraq and Afghanistan, you can come home, but this is home. And yeah. everywhere you go, you had somebody wrestle somebody or you fought a gun off of somebody or you, you know, and and it, it's a real deal. Yeah, I, mean, I think maybe I'm just biased a little bit, but I think cops are kind of left in the wake mm-hmm. when it comes to people understanding what they go through on a daily basis. It's not much, if not any different than what yeah. military folks yeah. go through when they, you know, guys go overseas, get into battle, go through crazy stuff. And then, you know, come home. You said they've got to deal with it. Cops are dealing with it, you know, every day for 25, 30 yeah. years. There's not really a whole lot of shutting it off, especially if you work in a town where things yeah. are busy. There's a lot of bad guys running around. You can't, you know, for me, but I still do this to this day. You know, I'm constantly head on a swivel. I'm not paranoid, but I'm from what I've seen. I'm also not naive to the world. You know, I walk out of Walgreens. When I walk out the door, I expect somebody is there mm-hmm. getting ready to rob me. Yeah. It's like, you know, you go to a four-way stop intersection with a stop sign, you stop your car. It doesn't mean you're mm-hmm. paranoid that you think mm-hmm. a semi is going to T-bone you. Sure. But it's a dangerous place. You look, check, make sure it's safe, and then you keep going. Yeah. But you know, a lot of cops, you know, are deeply affected mm-hmm. by that part of the job of constantly always being switched on and seeing the reality, seeing what is really out there mm-hmm. and and the potential for danger. And so and that's, you know, and that's there even when the world isn't stupid. Like yeah. and you know, like we went through in the last few years where jobs that are heroic I mean, how can protecting people and serving people not be up on a pedestal? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and like, these are really good jo- good jobs in the sense that you're doing humanity a service. You know, the the whole Romans, uh, I don't bear the the sword in vain. If you're an right. evildoer, you got something to fear. If you don't have anything wrong, if you've done nothing wrong, you got nothing to worry about. You know, yeah. cop pulls up behind me. The only thing I'm worried about is, is this my son getting ready to pull me over just to have fun? You know, because yeah. I don't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, so, but yeah, it's just a real deal with the, I didn't know. And I think the public doesn't know how dangerous it here. There's a few reasons. This phone, you can't go anywhere, a restaurant, you walk in through a parking lot, people are walking out the door. First thing they're doing, their head needs to be up looking around and have some awareness around them. But no, this thing, they're married to this right at the point where somebody comes up and, you know, puts a gun on you or, or, you know, you yeah. become the victim really quickly. So there, but, but until I had sons in law enforcement, I didn't realize how much crime was right here in this hometown. Yeah. 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 That's, um, that's, that's crazy. And, um, I think that really the difference between the military as, as a veteran mm-hmm. and police is that 
you're doing all of this in your hometown. Yeah. You're, you're living. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you go overseas, yep. that's a foreign place. It's a foreign area. Mm-hmm. You may have connections there, but it's usually with your brothers. Yep. And then you come home and you're in your safe place, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Not to use a, a woke term, but you're in yeah. that, that area where you are more, you feel more at home. You feel sure. safer. Whereas with police, you realize the that there isn't really safety in the mm-hmm. place that you live. Yeah. And so that puts you at even more higher alert when you are home. And I think that that's, that's yeah. absolutely something that is dealt with by police. And then throw the negative narrative that happened within the last few years. Throw yep. the negative narrative from... From guys like George Floyd and the craziness that went on in Minneapolis, you know, there mm-hmm. there is a documentary. I just started watching it the other day, and I had to turn it off because I got so mad, right? Um, where it shows all the body cam footage. It shows the narrative that was put out all the way up to the vice president, you know, yep. talking about this timeline and, you know, um, administration saying, well, we didn't teach that. We didn't train that technique to the knee to the neck. You absolutely did. That was part of your training, you know, and the dude could breathe. It wasn't his problem. His problem was he was on drugs, right? So you throw that narrative on a, on an individual who is already on alert everywhere he goes, man, what are you doing to the people? Very people that are keeping you safe, you know? Um, And so one of the things that we did as a church, when, when that narrative was trying to be pushed, um, we just said, okay, we're going to have one day, we're going to call it Hero Day. We're going to honor military people. We're going to honor law enforcement. And then we're going to take the, the day's offering. We're going to divide that up. And it's a very sizable offering in one week at Redemption. Mm-hmm. We're going to take that offering and we're going, to, we're going to divide it up between police departments. We're going to buy equipment that keeps officers safe. That's awesome. And we're going to give that to them. You know. And so leading up to that, it's so funny because I'd meet with police chiefs and I'd say, what do you need? And they're like, I don't know, one one. They just didn't realize this. They're thinking, well, he's talking about a couple hundred bucks because, you know, and I'm like, we're not talking about a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> Tell me what you need. And, well, I need, I need, I have two officers that don't have tasers. You have two officers that don't have tasers? Yeah, they're new guys. We don't have the money to buy them tasers. I said, the non-lethal way of handling something? You, you don't have, you know, you don't, I said, you'll have them. After this day, we're going to write you a check and it'll happen. Um, you know, Marion, we bought, training guns. He said, I need training guns, train my officers how to do, and they shoot like soap pellets or something like that. We need to, I said, we're going to buy those. Let's just make it happen. And then we brought, you know, admin and different guys in. I wanted our people in that moment to say, law enforcement is not bad and we're behind you. Uh, I wanted the, not only the people that were there that day, but I wanted to make a statement for our church. Like, we're not going to criminalize people who protect us. Yeah. You know? And when we, when we talk about that, you know, the, the source of government, the source of yeah. law is God. Yeah. You know, you look at that, you look at the Bible, you read the Bible. He is the, he is the source of government. He is the source of yes. the organization that we, that we abide, the laws mm-hmm. that we abide by. And so that is <laughs> to say that, you know, in, in my opinion, assault on law and order is an assault on the organization and the structure of, of what God set up. And yeah. so that narrative is, is dangerous and should be, should be countered and should be fought against because mm-hmm. it, it, people don't realize, nope. and I know we've said this on this podcast before, how thin that blue line is. Yep. There, there's a, there, the, the anarchy that would follow if the police, if all of the police just left yep. today, the anarchy that would follow would be, it'd be like Mad Max. Well, you know? And we haven't even talked about like, there's the other layer on that as well as when admin 
certain admin don't have your back. Yep. And we've seen that in this country as oh, well, yeah. where they should be defending officers and they should be taking a, a stance of saying, if so if there was a shooting that day, nobody wanted that to happen. But if there is a shooting that day, then I'm going to say that my officer did something exactly to the book until body camera footage or something else says it doesn't. It shouldn't be the opposite, right? You, so, so there is that pressure that you're putting. It's like we want to, we want these guys and gals to serve us and protect us, but then we want to come at them with criminal charges or with, you know, knocking down their reputations mm-hmm. and and then do, does does you know, thin blue line. Let's talk about how thin is. Does my own admin have me? Does the mayor have me? Does, yep. You know, does the city back me? And, and so many times, and it's just so wrong, you know. Yep. But the three of us standing, and this is the thing, the three of us sitting here, you know, we can give our opinions, but those opinions don't make it right, right? I mean, there could be somebody out there listening like, yeah, but of course you're a cop. Man, you're going to think that way, or you are military, you're going to think that way, or man, you're just a conservative preacher, you're going to think that way. But if you want to go back to the Bible, right, go back to yep. the biblical yep. precedent. Yep. If you think about uh, just so, so let's for let's take away all the arguments from like, well, that's Old Testament, you know, let's take away all those and let's just focus on God's son Jesus. Mm-hmm. You can't get a better model for what God wants in this world than his son, right? Jesus came here. He was sinless, right? The only yep. person that ever did that, um, that fully loved God and fully loved others. And he went out and he started selecting not the, um, what is the word, what does the word say? I chose the foolish things in the world to confound the minds of the wise, yep. right? I chose the weak things in the world to, to overcome the strong, you know, and, and so he's picking fishermen and everyday people and he does not disarm them. He does not disarm them. He actually tells them, oh, if you're going to have a tunic, get this. If you're going to have, make sure you have your sword. It was personal protection. Yep. You you think about like the stories he told, um, you know, the Good Samaritan. People getting robbed, literally mm-hmm. on the path of going from one town to the next. His disciples lived in a world just like us. Mm-hmm. It was fallen. And Jesus wasn't a pacifist. Uh, yes, he surrendered his life. That was part of the divine plan for our salvation, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, but but roll the clock back and or just roll the text back and go. His disciples had swords. They had them on them every day, everywhere they went. They had their weapons, their concealed carry. When Jesus is facing his most difficult moment in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying and he gets a few of them. He says, "Pray with me." You know, they fall asleep on him. He's completely alone. He's in this garden. He's saying, Lord, not my will, thy will be done. Great. You know, his sweat and his blood uh, is now mingling. The Bible says that he is literally sweating drops of blood, right? He's not afraid. Again, he's a man. He's not, he knows what's coming. If, when I read that text, I think, what is he most worried about? It's probably not the cross and it's probably not the thorns. It's the fact that God's wrath is getting ready to be poured out upon him. Yeah all of our sin getting ready to be poured upon him. And in that moment, one of my favorite Bible characters is Peter. Cause you know, there's a lot of Peter. There's a lot of Robbie and Peter. Like we were a lot. I, sometimes I talk before I think, and sometimes yeah. I act before I wish I hadn't. So there's a lot of that in me even still. And, and so what does Peter do when the mob comes with their torches and their swords and their clubs? And you know, when they arrest Jesus, they're not, they're not like, hey, turn around. Let's put some handcuffs on you. These people hate him. Yeah. This is a, a lynch mob coming at him. And 
And there is violence that happens in that moment. And uh, Peter draws his sword. He cuts off Malchus's ear. Yes, Jesus heals the ear. Put up your sword. Don't grab a sword. But I'm going to tell you, Peter wasn't aiming for the ear. He's going to chop his head off. Yeah. You're coming at someone I love, and this is unjust, and I'm taking your head off. That's exactly what he meant to do. I kind of wish he would have checked his head off. That'd make an even better story. You gotta put his head back. I don't know. But but the reality is, is like if you want to go and say, Well, do I have a right to defend myself biblically? Now there's all kinds of verses, but just look at the story of Jesus and his disciples. Mm-hmm. They were armed 24-7. Mm-hmm. And he didn't disarm them. Um and and the only reason I believe that he stopped Peter is because, you know, um, Peter, don't you know I could call 12,000 legions of angels right now mm-hmm. and they would come get me? You know, what's he saying? If I wanted this to stop, I'd call legions of angels. They would come down and not just take me off, float me up on a cloud. They would murder all of these people and rescue me. These angels are on my side. Think yeah. about that. They're on my side. But how would the scripture be fulfilled? All of the prophecies that led up to this point. So in that moment, Jesus surrendered to God's will. But um, so in no way, shape, or form was Peter getting his hand smacked for doing self-defense. It was just contrary to what the divine purpose of Jesus's entire life and coming was about, you know. And so, so, you know. If it hadn't been so serious, I always imagine Jesus being like, hey, Peter, I forgot to tell you something. (laughs) I need these people to arrest me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Put the sword away, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you could have told yeah. me that earlier. Yeah, but, we but, don't get a full picture there. No, we don't. You know, but I'm. I would guarantee you the other eleven had their swords out as well. The other ten would have their swords out as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's and really, I said this in one of our previous episodes. A sword is not designed to hunt. Yeah. It is not. It is a weapon that that's is specifically point. designed for self defense mm-hmm. in close quarters. Yeah. It's like a Glock. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that you know. The scripture, if it was written in 2023, it'd be like, if you don't have a Glock, go get a Glock because mm-hmm. we like Glocks, you know. Yep. But <laughs> I like Glocks. That's the reason but, I want to, I want I like Glocks, but that's the reason I want to take your Hellcat off the set so you can put a Glock there and I'll just take <laughs> yeah. it home with you. Yeah. Yeah. A parting gift. A no. parting gift. Yeah. Yeah. I always heard that. Yeah. But uh, no, it's, it, it, that is, soft. that is a, you know, that is absolutely a picture of, that we get that wrong in a lot of ways. And I, I've had so many Christians that say, oh, no, 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 we shouldn't defend ourselves. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be a part of this. And it's like God never tells us to, to, act, to not act when evil comes to our door. Mm-hmm. You know, we are to meet evil. And sometimes that can be in a physical way. That can be yeah. in a spiritual way. Yeah. We are called, as men specifically, mm-hmm. we are called to be protectors. Yep. And that is, is multidimensional. We are talking mm-hmm. about physical, spiritual, uh, mental, all yep. of that stuff. That is, that is a, a responsibility we have in our families and to a wider extent our communities. Yeah, I think but, cops get it right a lot. When in law enforcement they got this term – for whenever there's an officer involved shooting and it was like by the book, the law policy, morally, ethically, everything was done the way it should have been. It's called a righteous shooting. Yep. And it doesn't mean that cops are high fiving each other mm. in the back room or they couldn't wait Nobody's to do it. Nobody's doing that. A yep. righteous shooting means it had to be done. It was the right mm. thing. When I think of the word righteous, I just think of what's the right thing. We talk about righteous savages. We're talking about, you know, this whole concept here. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about tonight is, you know, 
as Christians and people that are concerned about protecting ourselves, our families, our community, we're constantly striving to do the right thing. We want to love everybody like they were our kids. I don't care if it's somebody with a mental problem or an armed robber. I'm always, I should look at that person through the eyes of God, Jesus. Like this is a human being that God has created and put here. And if it was, what if, what if my kid, what if that person that was threatening to kill you was uh, a son that you'd had a falling out with and it was your very own son? How would you handle that situation? Like you talk about whole, like, who wants to deal with that? Who wants to be that person? Mm-hmm. But if we have, if we start off with a foundation of loving, we're constantly trying to love people as much as we can, regardless of their situation. And if it boils down to where we had to physically defend ourselves or use deadly force, God forbid, then it was something that it was so dire that it just had to be done. There wasn't any other option. We're not, we don't have a checkbox mentality yeah. of, or put a cape on. I'm going to go save the day and fix every problem. Or I, I can't wait till a person steps one toe over this line. And then I get to do something. It cannot be that way. Yeah. It has to be, you know, we talk about, you know, just, you, you just know, we talk to people, victims of crime. A lot of people tell us phrases like this. I had a bad feeling or the hair just mm-hmm. stood up on the back of my neck or I like, And they don't know what it is. It's like, well, why was that? I don't know. I just had that feeling and people can tell. And that's what we're trying to get people is be aware of your surroundings. Let yourself, let your mind, your soul judge the situation. And, you know, I mean, for good grief, if nothing else, pray daily that God will give you the discernment, the judgment, the wisdom to make the right decisions. You know, if you're ever in a position where you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I should do. Well, don't guess, don't coin flip shooting somebody for crying out loud. You know, we want to be leaning towards, always be leaning towards not having to use deadly force. But if it really boils down to that person or, I mean, we should never have to make a decision of, you know what, I just guess I'm going to be the nice guy and my kids and my wife can carry my casket in a funeral next Sunday. No. We can't. I'm going to be honest, man. The, uh, The reality with me is like, I am a peacemaker, and if I can remove myself from a situation and keep myself and my family safe from a situation, I'm going to do that, right? I think that honors God, that honors. But if I'm in that place of extreme extingency where I have to absolutely, then I will be going home with my family, and the evildoer will be standing before a God who will judge them. And there are some people that think that those, you'll never have to make that decision. You can always walk away or get away. And sometimes I could go down a list of a hundred things. You could be sitting in the drive-thru at McDonald's with your granddaughter strapped in the backseat of your car. And a guy comes up to carjack. I just saw a video of this yesterday. A guy that was fleeing from the police Mm -hmm. ran, tried to carjack a lady that had their kids in the backseat. You can't just let the guy drive away with your mm-hmm. granddaughter yep. in the backseat of your car. That's a line in the sand. That yep. cannot happen under yep. any circumstance, whether you're armed or not. That should be the day where even if you didn't have a gun or a pocket knife or anything, you're gonna have to it's gonna be a buzzsaw going through me. It doesn't mm-hmm. care if you're male or female, whatever. This you, happened to a lady in our church. You do whatever you have to do to protect yep. the um unprotectable the weak i mean good grief of any group of people that god wants us to protect it's those who can't protect themselves Mm -hmm. 
And so and Christians get a bad, like there is this, there's so culture. Let me start it this way. Culture wants to tell you, Oh, you're stereotyping. Um, you need to not do that. You need to quit being so judgmental. Christians are not supposed to be judgmental. God gave you discernment. Everybody has some sort of discernment within them. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm on the, if I'm a, an antelope and I am on the African plains and there is a watering hole, right? And I look down there as an antelope and I see a, a whole pack of lions down there and I'm not going to walk down there and I'm not going to get a drink. You know, I nope. And I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know what? There hadn't been a lion attack in here in three years. It's okay. <laughs> no, that's a lion. That's what they do. Criminals are all around us. That doesn't mean I can't share the gospel with them. I don't have to be vulnerable to them. And so I'm not going to put myself in a So if I can remove myself from a situation, I'm going to do that. But if someone's trying to do crime on me, then I'm going to protect myself. So that's and, walking in wisdom. And there is that business. I mean, it's exactly what Peter did in the garden. But if you think about our culture and what our culture is trying to do, you guys touched this in your last episode with masculinity. Um, the church, the mistake the church is making um, and has been making for a very long time you know, Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Um, it's, it's, it's the beautiful word transformers like that metamorphosis. So from, I used this illustration not long ago with like a butterfly and a worm, right? Mm-hmm. That's a four-week transformation, right? So you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For me, I've been saved like 26, 27 years now. So it's, it's a 20, the sanctification process is a, so far it's 27 years that song's right. He's still working on me. But something else is shaping us. And that's why the scripture says don't be conformed. The ideas of culture will impact your safety, the ideas of culture. And where the church gets it wrong, and I've seen this so many times, um, and I've just become so aware of it, um, where the church gets it wrong is they try to be like the culture. Oh. And I'm talking about like, I'm talking about leadership now. Yep. Leadership. You're hiring. Uh, so this, this happens so many times. You can go on a website, Google search youth pastors. Just Google search. I was a youth pastor at one point, right? So not hating on youth pastors. I think we got the greatest one in the world. Will Douglas, great job. But why do we dress? Why do we take 50-year-old men or 40-year-old men and they dress like teenagers? They're skinny jeans. They're not our pastor. That's not how he is. Not, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying if you look in general, right? Skinny jeans. Yeah, yeah. If, you probably used to have someone you were I, I have wore skinny jeans on the stage. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But I'm saying like the overall attire is like you're a teenager, yep. right? You're taking a 30 or 40 year old man and saying, if you want to be relevant and cool or hip with these teenagers, you've got to look like them. That's a mistake. The moment I walk into a church and I see a youth pastor or a pastor, because lead pastors do this as well, and I look at you and I have to question, are you a homosexual? I have to question that. <laughs> if that, that little alarm clicks, there's something wrong. Right. Yep. I mean, there's something wrong. It means that culture has now shaped me the way I dress. How about this? And this, like, I hope pastors are listening right now. But yep. like, how about this? Instead of trying to hire the 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 hip cool guy, hire somebody that loves God and loves kids and will give them a target of what to hit when they grow up. Instead of trying to conform to that 
teenage image, give them what a mature male is supposed to look like, right? Um, And a mature male is not supposed to be feminine, trying to fit in with culture, using all the hip terms. Be yourself and be authentic. Be the man God has created you to be, you know? And I get it. There are different variations of that. We all have different, you know, different styles and flavors. That's great. But men are supposed to be men. Act like a man, the Bible Act like says. Act like Absolutely. And, and, and I'll just call this out, you know, because it happened recently in our church yeah. where we had a, a person um, yeah. attached to our youth program that was hired as a youth pastor yeah. that was a predator. Yeah. And it was Nobody a knew that when they hired And nobody him. knew it. But I will say this. There was definitely some signals. Oh there, was definitely some, there was definitely some, uh, some, some red flags yeah. that... I even dismissed. I worked yeah. with our youth program at the time, yeah. and I dismissed. And, I, and now I look back on it, and I'm like, I told my wife after that happened. I said, I'll never let a yep. check in my in my spirit go uninvestigated. Yeah. Un, you know. But the cool thing about what your church did is they acted quickly. Yes, and they did all the right steps. They didn't do what so many churches do and bury their head Sweet in the sand and don't know what to do with it. And yep. You know, I worked there for 11 years, so I get mm-hmm. it. I understand their leadership. Their print. We we even had that. Um, it wasn't a hired person. It was it was a, a worker. And as soon as I, I mean, literally, I had we had a guy several years ago, and he he started inappropriately texting teenagers. Some of these teenagers didn't come back to church. One of the teenagers was reaching out to him, saying, "Why aren't they coming to church?" And started talking to him like, "Well, so and so is sending me photos," and like you know, and so this gets to a dad who gets to me, and he said, "Hey, one of two things is." really going to go here either we got some teenagers or we got to squash something that isn't happening and that could hurt and damage a, a marriage this dude was a young dude red-blooded male i mean he was a manly man you know and or we have a predator you know and so you know made the phone call talk to the young lady you're not going to be in trouble i just need to know do you have any proof do you have any oh yeah i took screenshots of the snapchats and i said can you send those to me all of a sudden my phone started lighting up a picture of this dude just getting out of the shower, towel around him, and he's saying something like, I think the caption was like, send me a pic like this. And so he has no shirt on. He's in a towel, just got out of the shower. I call our elders. We sit down and we talk about it. It's the only time in our my 19 years where the elders and I didn't agree, right? Um, and the place we didn't agree, so I have one elder who is a retired um, corrections officer, um, one elders, a retired state trooper. Those are the two guys that gave me the biggest problem. Right. And, and, and so we all knew, Hey, when this meeting's over, we're going straight to the County. We're going to report this guy. Here's the evidence for print and all. We all knew that. But the next step I want to do is I want to go to the guy's house, not to beat him up, not to hurt him, not, but as his pastor, I just reported you to the police. I want to have the confrontation of why are you praying on our, how is this happening? Why are you mm-hmm. praying on? And, and, you know, after a good solid hour of debating in the elder meeting, they're like, the moment you do that, you just hampered the investigation. What if he has more evidence on a computer? What if he has this? Delete and and I realized I didn't want to do that because honestly, I, I felt small. Um, if I got a problem with him, we're going to have a, a peaceful conversation or we're going to have a firm conversation. We're going to do it face to face. And I just, I don't want to be behind the, and that just kind of, so, but I realized you guys are right. Let's follow that. Five days later, he gets arrested, and um, you know. And so that whole situation kind of proves my trademark term of it doesn't pay to be the nice guy. Like, no. Well, let's give the guy a second. You don't need to give anybody a second no. chance. You you know what's happening. 
just by looking. Your gut feeling is telling you one thing. And so when you even, even if it hadn't gone that far, sometimes yeah. you see other things happening, you know, like, well, it's just not it is not worth it when you're being taken advantage of Mm-mm. to be giving people four or five little chances. girls. Yeah. Four or five little girls. You got to protect them. Yeah. You know, we have, we are responsible for them. Too many times we think about the individual. Well, if I, if I know, tra- if I trespass them, if I excommunicate them, then what does that do for them? Okay. Well, what about the victims? What exactly. about the victims that you're supposed to care for as well? You know, yeah. And and there has but but the problem is is culture shapes our attitudes and opinions of that and we've got to get past that we've got to restore manhood and say this is what men look like this is how men behave this is and not just the um, not just the uh, the masculine stuff but this is what spiritual men look like yes you know this is you know <laughs> I was raised in a house where you don't cry I don't cry a lot. But there are things that bring me to my knees, you know, yeah. and it's usually when it's my family or my kids or my grandkids or things break my heart, you know, but you live that faith out in front of your family and say, no, I'm going to lead. We're leading in this and areas of, you know, we'll love the person who's who's but I'm also going to, you know, I've been convincing my wife to get a concealed carry as well. And <laughs> this last round has finally got her to the place where she's like, yeah, and I'm like. So we're going to get you the concealed carry. You're going to go through the classes. And she's like, well, I just don't want to go through the class alone. I've got you somebody to go through the class with you. So now we're going to do this. And then, and you know, if you're watching later, Ange, um, you know, then comes the training because you can't just have, you cannot just have a license. A license doesn't save your life. You have to be proficient with the firearm. You have to know what to do. And, you know, people are like, well, I can't shoot 20, 30 yards. Well, one, you could if you were shown how, but that's not where most shootings happen. They're five to eight feet, something like that. You know, it's like, you just got to be ready. Yep. And, yep. and that's the reality. But I, I do think it, it starts with like a manhood problem. I really do. Yeah, um, I think probably, you know, one of the coolest things that we've realized is, you know, there's not a whole lot of opportunities for some people to be that example. Some people aren't pastors of a church. Some people aren't up in front of a lot of people. But the social media realm and kind of I think it's interesting that people now have a way to see like, well, you know, I've been thinking about this Christianity thing, but I don't know. And they see people certain people maybe it's us maybe it's somebody else like man i didn't know that's what people who believed in god like that's who they were or how they acted or that these people even existed so we're really going to try and take advantage of these platforms we're not trying to be social media famous we're not we're not doing it for that reason but we want to start an awakening i guess of like look at all these people because once one hand goes up then another hand and all of a sudden there was a room of of 100 people that all believed the same way but everybody was too scared to say anything or stand up and so we're we're trying to create this kind of mob mentality of like Mm -hmm. hey we're all we all actually believe the same thing and i didn't know you were doing that and so we really want so you know please promote stuff like this our show yeah. other people uh that are doing the same thing so that we can get you know the you word know we out need, that way we need probably tiktok videos of pastors at the range so other people would know i think we, we could i think we could probably we hook that up that, so yeah. yeah and i'm trying yeah. guys i'm trying <laughs> no, no, no. no one that's, hand, that's live on one hand <laughs> yep 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 Yep. If you got uh, nothing going on Saturday, target, come on out. So. I'm coming tomorrow to get a membership. Yeah. I am. But I, uh, I was asking him pricing things like that, and I'm like, man, I, I got to get back on the range instead yeah. of just depending on you know the other ranges. Yeah. So this I, one's right here in my town. I got to do it. 
Yeah, I think that um, as we as we move, well, actually, I was going to say, I've, one of my favorite memes that I've seen in the last couple of years is there's like this crowd of people bowed down and this one guy with a whip and then one guy stands up. And then it shows another picture of three guys standing yeah. up. And then by the end of it, they're all standing up yeah. and the and the tyrant is bowing. Yeah. And that is that is a picture of what a brotherhood looks like. Is like mm-hmm. it, it only takes well, and I said this in the last podcast, three to five percent to really yeah. change and shift something. Yeah. And that's they use that on the negative side, but we can use it on the positive side yeah. too. We can absolutely inspire and um, we don't have it all together. No, yeah. we're not we're not experts. Like you said, we're in a we're in a journey too. Right. And you know, it's it's I've been saved for, you know, <laughs> since I was eight years old. But that's a that's a 32, 33 year journey that I've been on and have I made mistakes? Yes. Do I have everything figured out? No. I'm still on the on the road of sanctification. Mm-hmm. But we can inspire others to come along with us, to join in, to shoulder the load together, because I think that it's the most important thing that we need right now in our culture to shift it is strong, godly men standing in the gap and saying, no further than this. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, I wanted to kind of touch on this. I know we're, we're kind of running close on time, but mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on our other subject of when a government, when a, when a, um, a ruling class. And I think that that's probably even more accurate is that we have a ruling class in this country that thinks that they can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, a administrative state that, that thinks they can do anything, but what does, from a, the perspective of a pastor who went through the 2020 pandemic and all of the laws and all of the rules that came down, uh, not even necessarily laws, but just were, were signed by a, a governor or a president. What does a, what does a, what does civil disobedience biblically, how does that line up in civil disobedience? Yeah. So we went to two services, right? Um, on a Sunday, the following Monday, the governor shut the state down. I remember that. Yep. You talk about suck. That yeah. sucked. Coming in the office on Monday, everybody was like, this is all it took was another service, such a huge success. And then finding out by noon, there's no church coming Sunday. You know, this literally looked at my worship pastor. This was my, we put, we didn't do anything streaming in life. So we put, um, everything post-production, we put it up on our website. I said, I got to tell you, Robert, you got seven days to figure out how to do live streaming, and here's the criteria. It can't suck. He said, you got to define <laughs> suck. I said, one camera angle 100 feet away. <laughs> can't do that. He did a great job right out of the gate. Seven days, he learned something, put it in place, um, went online only. I was miserable uh, yeah. online only at home because our governor made this. And at first, when the pandemic hit, and I've never been part of a global yeah. pandemic. I don't know one single person who's ever led a church through a global pandemic. Right. So, so we're um, all a hundred years. So old. one side of Robbie wants mm-hmm. to give a lot of grace to mm-hmm. pastors when they decided to close or not close. The other side of me, what began to happen in me as I began to, there's one guy specifically, a guy named Brandon Smith, did uh, eight tours in Afghanistan and Iraq, heavily invested in his journey to faith and sanctification and his struggle with PTSD. I got concerned about him about the fourth weekend because he wasn't anxiety-based, crowd-based stuff. He had, he had gotten over that, and now we're isolating him for a month. Our finances at our church were fine, man. I had people 
they would text and say, hey, check in the gas tank of the the van. Um, we put our tithe check there. Or it's, <laughs> it was so crazy. Like, you know, finances were not hit. And you'll look, if you look back at the Great Depression, when that hit, church finances weren't touched. The faithful are faithful regardless of what happens, yep. right? So we didn't have a financial problem. That wasn't the issue. Um, I really was concerned about the people. I went to our elders and I said, guys, I have two things at play. And I never was in a position, along with a lot of other pastors, we're never in a position of Romans 13. We all knew that, yeah, God established government, kind of like the whole Romans 13 is God establishes government and you should submit to your government. And then um, the next kind of phase of that, you know, it talks about the sword and they don't bear the sword in vain. If you're doing nothing wrong, got nothing to worry about. But if you're a criminal, you got something to worry about because they'll come mm-hmm. and justice will be speedy and avenge, avenge God. And so, so law enforcement people and people in all authority are placed there by God. Honor them. That's what I went into the pandemic thinking about. Also, I knew on the other side of this is this uh, Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the assembling of uh, the gathering of the saints as some have and fallen away. You got that piece and these two are competing. And you're like, how do you reconcile those two? How do you bring those two things together? Then you start thinking about our government. Our government is not our governor. Our government is based in a constitution. Correct. Our constitution gives it. It's not a monarchy. No. You know, Prister doesn't get to say, hey, th- you just can't do this. No, that's why we have a Supreme Court. It's why we have a constitution. It's why we have laws. That, that's where we get our laws from. And so he was doing something that was violating our constitutional right. And when you can't go to church because it's not essential, but you can get an abortion, you can go to a liquor store, and you can go mm-hmm. to Walmart, there's a problem. Yeah. And so that's all running through your head. And, and then the conversation starts with our elders, and I start saying, guys, we need to go back. At the same time, what's happening, um, my grandkids, man, you know, pushed me over the edge with a concealed carry and and the running joke at like our house um i, I love a hot tub right <laughs> and my grandkids love to get in there but when we get in there with the hot with the grandkids they're always trying to baptize me you know <laughs> and and so one day i was in the hot tub and it was in that third or fourth week and i was really kind of and they had just gotten out and i started thinking about this i'm like they haven't been in church in three or four weeks and my grandkids love god they love church and I'm sitting here thinking, they were talking about arresting pastors. They were talking about fining, putting people in jail. They were talking. I mean, that was a real thing. One of the state troopers in my church was giving me, he'd go to these briefings that they would have. Um, and he would say, he called me one day, he says, I think they're going to try to make us make criminals out of pastors and arrest them. Like, I think we're going to have to enforce this stuff. And he said, I'm not doing it. And I got to retire in a year. So I'm trying to figure out, I've met with my union rep. Do I need to retire? Do I not? You know, now he's retired. But back then he was fighting that battle. I was like, I'm not doing this. And I said, man, keep me in the know because we are, we're probably opening up in a couple of weeks, you know, and I'm talking to our elders. And, but the point for me, really tipping point for me was like, I thought about our church health of the people in it and how, and then I thought about the Bible and I'm like, I can't reconcile this. And then it became so crystal clear that Romans 13 was not talking about listening and obeying and bowing to to J.B. Pritzker. It was listening to the Constitution. What does the Constitution give me a right to gather peacefully in worship? And so I'm like, okay, I see this now. This lines up. And then you have to cross that bridge that every person has to come across. It's like, 
can be biblically right, but we're in a, a blue state. <laughs> yeah. Are you prepared to go to jail? Are you prepared to pay a fine? And, you know, my first thought was, well, if they find me, our church is going to pay for that. I'm not even, that's not even going to touch me personally. You know, I know that. Um, even if it didn't come out of our general checking, none of our elders would do that. They'd be over there in a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, but am I going to get arrested? And that, at one point they were talking a year in jail. Like, is that, and I'm looking at my grandkids going, am I going to miss a year of their life? You know? And then I was, I just walked in and told my wife one day, I said, we got to go back to church. I don't care what it costs. We got to go back to church. About that time, I get a phone call. I get a phone call from an area pastor. He says, man, what are you doing? I said, I got news for you, dude. We're going back. We're going back in two Sundays. We're going to promote it. We're going back. Actually, no, it wasn't two Sundays. It was a week. I don't know. It was two Sundays I'm talking to him. He said, man, I got, a, I got a meeting coming this week. I want you to come. Area pastors are here. This, was the, this is what he said to me. He says, if we all go back at once, they're not going to arrest all of us. They're going to arrest all. He said, I got 40 some odd pastors coming to this meeting. I said, I'll be there. I thought I was coming into a meeting to have solidarity and unity. And man, I walked in that meeting and I'm on cloud nine thinking I'm not alone, you know? And I walked in that room. I sat down. The question that was asked is, what are you doing for COVID? What's your plan in the future? And that was just kind of the shut down, no plan to go back. Shut down, no plan to go back. Shut down, can't go back because... Um, you know, we don't want to get people sick. We don't want this. We don't want that. Even though the the medical studies were showing, you know, I mean, I've got yeah. three weeks into it, you were seeing. Dude, this I got a guy in my church. Greg Lynn is a you know, he's a retired Secretary of State. He is fact. You know, I mean, I, I even asked him today, send me some facts. I want to kind of brush myself up on this stuff. And and so all that was still unknown, but it didn't even have to do with that, right? Yeah. And, and now we need to meet. And so. So I'm sitting in this room, and I look over, and then one pastor stands up, one of the largest churches. And we got a lot of all the different denominations, so don't try to figure out who the people are. <laughs> um, but one of the largest churches in this area, the pastor stands up, and he basically lays it out there and says, we have to honor the government. We're not doing this. We're not going back. We don't want people to get, you know, risk them. And he lays out this well-thought-out kind of speech. And I watched him like dominoes, man. It went from him to the next largest pastor, and he said the exact same thing. And then every other pastor in that room, just it was like a domino. They were all doing the thing. I'm counting. I'm like 24th or 25th to give the talk. 30 minutes of the explanation of why Romans 13 says we can't go back. I look at my associate or one of my uh, assimilation pastor, I look at him, and I go, it's going to be interesting. He knows the plan. We're going back the following Sunday, right? I looked over at the guy next to me, and he's like, yeah, we're not going back either. And it came to my turn. I stood up and said, guys, I'm not a rebel. The church's finances are fine. It's not a financial decision. This is a biblical decision. We have to go back. You guys keep saying Romans 13, but here's the problem. We're not a dictatorship. We have a constitution. You're, you're using this in a wrong way. What about the don't for second? So I give my spiel. Next guy behind me goes, and I tell him, I'm going back in five days. We're, we're having church. Next guy goes, next guy. And then, no, no, no. There were three pastors in that room. Three pastors in that room said, we are going back. And you know when that meeting end, ended? You know what they didn't do? They didn't put three pastors in the center and have 40 pastors surround them 
like an underground church would have done in a foreign country and prayed for their safety and their protection. They didn't say, hey, we're going to throw some money in here. If you guys get arrested, we're going to come bail you out. They didn't do anything. They didn't offer prayer. They didn't offer any kind of support whatsoever. And, and I walked out of that meeting absolutely pissed. I was mad. Yeah. I went home to my wife and I, I just, I said, I am in a room full of cowards. It's not a fair assumption. I get it. I was just mad at the moment. Yeah. I said, we preach faith when it comes time to pick up a sling and our stone. We don't want to face the giant because it'll cost us our reputation. And I fully believe that some pastors in this community, they were worried about what will my congregation think? Because you have you know, Democrat and Republicans in your oh, church. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've lost people because we went back. You know, we took that sense. We're going back. But we're going to honor God. We're not going to worry about, I'm, I'm going to love you and I'm going to help you anyway. I'll explain my thought process, but I'm doing what God wants. You know, yeah. and, and so honestly, I was so mad at those guys for a very long time because I just realized this is a, some pastors were upset because I was going back and they wouldn't. Some of their people came to our church. They only stayed with our church until they finally. And, and this was the thing. This is, oh, this, you're going to get me started. <laughs> Romans 13, that's what you're hiding behind? Okay, Romans 13, you're hiding behind that. So what changed? We went back. So did two other churches. Three weeks later, they started opening up their doors. What changed? Romans 13 didn't change. Pritzker hadn't reversed his decision yet. Local authorities said they started saying, we're not making criminals out of pastors. We're not arresting them. You had sheriffs and chiefs of police that were going public and saying that. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, it was like, okay, I could do this and it not cost me anything. I don't have any skin in the game. And that's what's wrong with the church today is pastors aren't believing what they're preaching, right? They don't own it. They won't put any skin in the game. Um, we, we live in this culture that um, culture has really... I don't know if you've been looking, but like in the last decade, there's this victim mentality. Like, oh, I don't want to be a victim, but if I am a victim, it's poor, pitiful me. I just went to a conference, right? I went to this conference in this denomination that I'm a part of. I look up and I see this poster, and the poster's got this guy, and he's, he's, he's got this like depressed look on his face, and he's kind of looking up, and it says, I'm, I'm going to skew it just so we don't give away, I don't, I'm not trying to run down a denomination, but um, pastoring is tough. Our denomination can help. I'm looking at that poster and I'm going, is this a pastoral counseling booth? Like if it's tough to be, you know? And so I asked the question, what is that? Oh, no, no, this is just communicating that, you know, that, that being a pastor is hard. And we can help. And I go, being a pastor is hard? And they said, well, yeah, being a pastor is hard. I mean, people haven't come back from COVID. People, you know, their, their church's attendance is down. The giving is down. I said, hold up. Pastoring is hard? And they kind of looked at me and said, I got the greatest job on planet Earth, man. I get to teach the Bible. I get to introduce people to Jesus. We get to see them get baptized. I get to, I mean, this is the absolute greatest job on planet Earth. There is no better job. You're telling me I got a hard job? Is there stress involved? Sure. What job doesn't have stress, right? right. But I'll tell you what they're not doing. They're not dragging me out of the synagogues and chopping my head off and filleting me and pulling me asunder, sawing me in half like they did the Old Testament prophets. They're not doing that right? Uh, this is first world problem, guys. 
And, and this guy in the denomination had asked me, well, you know, what I thought of the conference. So I'm letting him have it. I said, dude, your poster here, looks, this guy's trying to figure out, do I put a pistol in my mouth or do I go in and preach a sermon? That's what this poster's communicating. You know, this job is not, stop, adap- st- stop adopting the cultural narrative that life is hard. And, you know, I said, every sermon I heard in here, reference COVID, attendance numbers, all these things. I said, what we need to be preaching is gird up your loins, be a man, preach the gospel. To live is is great, but to die is to gain, you know. Live your faith out. Be a man. And so, so you know, I'm ranting now, but uh, yeah, coming, man, coming back to that, it's yeah, like, that's what I'll we say, need. Robbie, what you said was so true that people, a lot of times their motivation is, what's it going to cost me? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't cost me anything, then great. I'm all for yeah. that. That should, that should not be the threshold or the defining moment. The defining moment is what's right, what's the biblical thing what's the the truth here mm-hmm. and sometimes following that path is going to cost you it cost the apostle paul spent half his life yeah. in prison not because he yelled at some roman guy on a horse somewhere right because he decided i'm not going to stop preaching about jesus <laughs> and if that's what i'm in trouble for then send me yeah. to prison you know so take me away the, you know there's yeah there's there might be a cost and and it shouldn't we shouldn't be trying to avoid that. If you're trying to avoid that, you're also probably avoiding the truth as well. And man, that's that's a kind of a, a mutiny on your on your faith yeah. at that point if you're honest about it. it. And I know we're short on time, so I won't ramp for ten minutes, but here's the reality. If you read the book, it's gonna get harder. If you yeah, read preach. the book, it's gonna yeah. get harder. Yeah. And if you won't stand now, you're not going to stand then. I, I think that the church is trying to look for this. I, she spoke to to Jared about this in, in our last episode of we we have this thing we're trying to we're trying to entice the world, mm-hmm. thinking that if we give the right the right prescribed sermon or this, mm-hmm. the world is not going to enjoy church. Mm-hmm. If you're not a Christian, mm-hmm. you're not going to enjoy church. You're they not going it. to enjoy the message. You're going to hate it mm-hmm. because we are promised hardship we are promised a hard life but we're also promised the gift of god's salvation and eternal life so we have to we have to weigh those things out we can, we can't just walk through life of taking the the path of least resistance mm-hmm. we have to stand we have to we absolutely have to stand and hold the line mm-hmm. to use a military term mm-hmm. of of what we believe is true and if the truth somehow insults your sensitivity or, or whatever, I'm, I don't have to apologize for that. No, it's doing it, its purpose. Exactly. It's supposed to. It should you. convict. It's a yeah. sword. It pierces yes. to the heart. Mm-hmm. And I've said this several times. When you present the gospel to somebody, a lot of times you're either going to get anger or repentance. Yeah. And the anger is that conviction. And they, they hate you because you're telling the truth. And deep down, they probably know it, but they're just not willing to accept it. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to spur repentance. Yeah. And that's why we're supposed to take the gospel to the world. Yeah. When we had the, that meeting and that following Sunday, we opened up and the people came in and all these strangers came in. Some of them were straight up. And they said, hey, I'm just here till our church opens up. I remember one lady coming to me saying, hey, I know my pastor was at that meeting. What did he say? I said, well, you need to go talk to him. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not trying, even with this podcast, to run down the guys in, the, in our community. But the reality is, is it's a heart check. And if they listen, they know who they are when they were more worried about losing people in their congregation because of some political stance that they were taking. Or when they were worried about, well, the unchurched, well, what will the community, how will the community view us if we're unsafe when we go back? You know, you should really only worry about what does God think, you know, because he's the one you stand before at the end of the day. And, you know. Um, while we are saved by grace, man, when he's given you a ministry, you're accountable and mm-hmm. for what you've done with that. And, you know, I've said this to our elders. Uh, I've said it in our church. The biggest mistake I've ever made in ministry in my life, closing for those six weeks. Mm-hmm. If I had one regret to do over, I would have never closed. And it was it was a, you know, I, I'm not going to excuse that. That was a, that's something that I've asked God's forgiveness for. Shouldn't have closed ever. Um Hindsight's twenty twenty. I get it. All my elders have reassured me. We didn't know either, you know, but that's great. But God's called me and I'm the pastor. You know, I'm the main leader at our church. I should have dove into that Romans 13 quicker. I should have got to the place where I understood that in a fuller way in our context. Because if I had, we would have never closed, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's my one regret, you yeah. know. Won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I... I Really, really have loved this conversation. I think it's it's been great, and we've loved having you here. Yeah. And hopefully, we can have you back. We're definitely going to get some range stuff in. That's awesome. Pastors and pistols, or something. I love like it, dude. That. That's a new small group. <laughs> pastors and pistols. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and and everyone out there that's tuning in, we are so thankful that you guys continue to join and continue to um, to check in on this brotherhood. And we hope that you guys get more involved in it. Um, real quick, actually, I'd like to give Robbie a chance to kind of shout out. You know, you you have social media stuff. And uh, the church. So go ahead and give a give a shout out to you know yeah, where you, people can find you. You can you can Google Redemption Church. Um, we're in Johnson City, Illinois. You can Google that. Come up to us, RedemptionNow.com. You can find us on Facebook the same way. Um, we're on YouTube, TikTok, Pastor Robbie at TikTok. We do all those things. Um, but you really need to give a shout out, like to your own store, bud. <laughs> if people started seeing this stuff, they'd want more of it. Yeah. So, uh, I did as a surprise perk for coming on the show. It's like, yeah, he texts, yeah. he's like shirt size and color. I'm like, Oh wow. I get, t- I get, should've, I'm not getting the range, but I'm getting some free stuff. Come here early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, but no, you can, you can find that we, and you know, we are going to do a couple new podcasts this year. Three minutes to change your life. Um, you know, the, the, the mistake we all make, if you've been in the faith for a while, is we think everybody knows kind of what we know. And the reality is that our, we're going to take one biblical truth and we're going to tear that apart and show that how it applies. It's going to be a three-minute clip. And then uh, then we're going to do another. Um, you know, we've seen incredible growth in the last three years when the world's upside down in a ditch and being stupid. And, and God's tripled us. You know, we've and, seen so many people. So and Actually, real quick. Mm-hmm. So you took a stand. Yep. And I want to, I, I believe what has happened in your church is a blessing from God for mm-hmm. the stand that you took, yeah. because a lot of churches have not seen the growth that you have. Yeah. So go ahead and give a shout out to that real quick. How has God grown your church? Yeah. So, um, we were 200 people for like a decade. And then in 2019, we changed some focuses, started focusing on what God was already doing by sending people. Um, and we started focusing on following up those new guests, uh, getting them plugged in, getting them serving today. We're at a place where there were there were uh, last year in 2022, uh, I think the number is 913 Southern Baptist churches in Illinois. We led the state in baptisms, and we had like 154 baptisms that year. 
this year, this Sunday, I will baptize the hundredth person for the year. And then I've, I've seen, I haven't spoken with them yet, but I've seen two more baptism requests come in. So still got to meet with them, talk and make sure they understand that. But so there's a good potential that this Sunday I'll be baptizing the 102nd person, right? For the year. But, uh, so how has God grown us? He has, uh, we went from one service to three. Um, we've seen over 350 people baptized in the last three years. And at a time when people were hating cops and we had an election and was a mask or no mask, was a vaccine or no vaccine, was it when the average church went from 125 to 55, God took us from 200 to like 600 on an average That's attendance. Awesome. You know, it's, it is so much life. Like we're planning right now. I had this conversation with my wife, like you realize that in the fall, we're probably going to have to have a fourth service, <laughs> you know? And, uh, so they have that. I do believe that some of it was the stand, but also some of it. So some water, you know, some some plant seeds, some water. God is ultimately the one that gives the growth, and He determines why. He just showed us some processes, and that's mm-hmm. what I want to do with the other podcast. Ten minutes to save you ten years because we were stuck at ten years. We were stuck at two hundred people, and dude, we had one hundred forty thousand dollars worth of outreach going out. It wasn't that we weren't getting out there; it was that we were just. We didn't understand a process that we mm-hmm. learned that I'm going to, we believe we want to see other churches grow. This is not, you know, I love my church, but there are so many good churches mm-hmm. that just need a process that, that empowers them to grow. And that's what we're giving away. So no, there's no price to that. We're, you know, we've, we have helped other churches so far, different churches in this town and in Heron. Uh, well, I guess this is Heron and in Marion. Um, and they've hired staff to do those things. They're starting to see results. So mm-hmm. those awesome. are the couple of podcasts that we're going to, cause we want to see that's, the whole body of Christ grow. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. And, um, I'll put some, I'll put some links to your, your TikTok yeah. and Instagram and all that stuff in this video. Um, but once again, I say it again, thank you for coming in and sharing your heart and being bold because yeah. there's not very much boldness a lot with, with a lot of churches now. And that's something I want to see change. And yeah. your boldness is inspiring. And uh, thank, you. thank you. Uh, but until then, until our next um, episode, we, we'd like to thank you guys and um, remember to carry Jesus with you and act like you believe. We'll see you next time. Amen.